Stuck in the middle together, folks. We are live. Welcome to today's episode of the Survival Podcast. You know, we talk about a lot of things that are really serious. Uh, and, and some of the stuff today is going to be serious. But I also think sometimes preppers just got to have fun. No, I, I hate that song. I won't play that song. Don't worry. But it is time to, uh, it is time to look out at the world and see just what's in it and ask ourselves, Are we really in a clown world? And I think that today we will see that we are truly living in a clown world. My, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. We watched like the first couple episodes of the, uh, the sci-fi thing, Stranger Things. And I found it really interesting in the beginning because the kids were pretty young and it was the 80s and that's why I grew up. And there was a lot of, a lot of it that I really liked just because of the time setting. And we kind of lost it and let go of it, but we talked about how Like the place where all the weird shit was coming from was the upside down is what they called it. I look around and I feel like we live in the upside down, that maybe that's what that metaphor is all about. Anyway, let's tell you what we're going to talk about today. I've, I got a bunch of this off Twitter. Twitter's actually been proving useful since my shadow band seems to be gone and I actually seem to be getting followers and stuff there now. Um, a group of vegans decided to protest me. In a very unique way, they, they laid roses on the stake. And instantly, I thought something. If you follow me on Twitter and you know what I posted, please don't tell anybody in the live chat. Let it be a surprise. Because I want to see how many people get there on their own, that where you would go with this. Then, I just saw this yesterday. Ken Berry posted something on Twitter. And I was like, I can't find that Twitter account. Turned out it was a Facebook account. But it was from the American Diabetes Association of Maryland, and it was a recommendation for what diabetics should eat. I started pulling on that thread, and it led us to, well, way do you see the things the ADA tells diabetics to eat? Clown world, indeed. And where do you see what happens the minute they're called out on it? That's the really interesting thing, and I'm wondering if we should start stalking these people a little, a little cyber-stalking of the ADA, and every time they post some bullshit like this, just point the truth out about it, because they're not defending it. It's weird. What do you see what they're doing? Oh, and then somebody, with, with a little bit of extra time on their hands, took King Charles and Camilla and the rest of the royal family entering the, the, the church yesterday and put the the the, uh, the, the uh, emperor march the empire march theme from star wars on it it's freaking epic those of you that uh that don't see the video that only listens to the audio you won't get the full effect of it but then somebody did something and i'm not aware if maybe this isn't what it looks like maybe there's some kind of weird pants in in england that kings wear or something but well it seems like king charles might be impersonating Well, President Screw from Spaceballs. I wait, just wait. You, you guys on the audio only. You might have to check this one out. And I can't find anything in the news about it. So I, I think if it wasn't true by now, there'd be fact checkers telling you it's not true. Because we'll talk about that in a second too. California told everybody to buy an electric car. They signed legislation that said only electric cars by 2035, and then immediately said, "Hey, hey." Uh, by the way, please don't plug it in at peak hours because we're having brownouts and we, our electrical grid can't handle the electric car we told you to buy. And then I want to talk about what the MSM has done, mainstream media has done in response to that. Um, 
a moving the goalpost for Nord? Is that what you call it? I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. And uh, then we're going to get a little bit serious, but yet it's still the clown world. Have you ever realized that literally every single solution to make the environment better that the mainstream has actually is bad for the environment? I'm going to talk about four of them today. Row cropping with grains and seeds, how bad that is for the environment. Electric vehicles, because at least, I mean, it doesn't, the electrical grid can't handle them, right? But, but, but they have to be better for the environment, don't they? No, not really. Um, civic water drainage systems. There's a whole litany of codes that when you're doing a subdivision or development or anything in the city, you got to make sure you get your drainage right. We'll talk about how dumb that is for the environment. And then high-density population centers. I'm talking long before Jack Spirigo ever did the Survival Podcast. I was deeply involved with different layers of business, and I spent a lot of time going to uh, chambers of Commerce. I was in the uh, Technology Business Council for the Richardson Chamber of Commerce back when it was like Ericsson Ground Zero, Alcatel Grand, Grand Zero, uh, Santerra Systems, like big-time tech center. Uh, probably more tech activity than, than just about anywhere in the state of Texas was going on there. And so I went to all these meetings and I went to all these, you know, events and stuff. And I, I'm going to tell you about how many people came in back then talking about needing to put more people into the cities. And this is like 1999, 19, you know, uh, 1998, 2004, like in that range. And hearing about this, and even when I was in Pennsylvania for a while, hearing about it at like the Philly Chamber of Commerce and how bad is some of the... Why would it be bad to put more people into a smaller place for the environment? We'll talk about that. Then some positive stuff, right? I've been following this dude, Zuby. Uh, he's a rapper, a very intelligent guy, by the way, as well. Uh, university educated. He's from the United Kingdom. And I, I'm not going to say I dig his music because, honestly, I've never listened to it. I'm not a rap guy. I, it takes very rare occasions I'll hear a rap song. That's pretty cool. But, God, I love the guy. And I love him, what he's doing for young men and telling young men to stand up and be strong. And that's why he's hated. But he, he made a statement on Twitter this last week. And I went, I need to adopt that statement. Just, just, just as it is. I don't need to change it. I'll just quote him. And it, it really sums up what I've been trying to do for 14 years here and why I don't have a lot of patience for some people in my own audience. Next up, and it'll be the last thing we talk about today. Have you ever watched Harrison Bergeron? The movie Harrison Bergeron, this was a made-for-showtime movie. It had big-time actors in it, including Sean Austin. Uh, if you don't recognize the name right off the bat, Sean is the guy that played Rudy in the movie Rudy. So you're not talking about a small-time cast. Howie Mandel was in it, some other big-time act. I have a copy of it on Odyssey. And it has not been fully memory-hold, but it's really been memory-hold. And I, I did a whole show on it in the past. If you've watched it, you should watch it again. If you've never watched it, you should watch it. You should watch it with your kids, assuming your kids are like 10, 11, or older. And if they were five, it wouldn't be a bad thing. There's nothing really bad in it or a lot of bad words. There's no real gratuitous anything in it. Um, maybe a reference or two, but you'd have to be old enough to understand it to get it. And it is amazing. The reason I say like 10, 11, like unless you intellectually grasp it, I don't know that they would get much out of it. So in that 10 to 12 range, I think is where kids really would start to get this, especially if you have young athletes in your life, even though there's not a lot, lot of athletic discussion. And I think that, that the analogy would be you could make the analogy for yourself. 
And people are already invoking Kurt Vonnegut, who wrote, this is in the chat here, who wrote the short story, Harrison Bergeron. The movie that was made for Showtime with Sean Austin in it, um, so much was done beyond what the story, the story was only really about a ballet dancer. And that comes into this in a little tiny piece you have to know to look for it to really see it. It's a much broader thing, and it is pretty amazing, and we'll talk about it. Before we do, let's hear from our sponsor of the day. Sponsor of the day today is Paul Wheaton. And for some reason, oh, I guess I have to add it to the stream. Uh, Paul Wheaton, and uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to let Paul tell you about the offer that he has. But this is about rocket mass heaters. And I'll just pull up that page there. I, I really want you guys to start thinking about this. I, I, I've noticed that some of the stuff that Paul offers seems to hit a little bit more direct with my audience. Like you guys really like embrace it more. Like the PDC and the appropriate technology courses. Less interest, it seems, in rocket mass heaters. I want you to listen to this, but I also want you to think about a couple things while you do, and you consider if whether or not getting this information is important for you. First of all, we are at a time where energy costs are going through the roof, and we expect energy shortages. We're also in a period, like we discussed earlier this week, where we're probably going to have harsher winters than normal. And so knowing how to produce lots of heat with a little bit of fuel is a good idea. But I also know that one of the reasons people are like, I don't know that I need to invest my time here is that you live in a three-bedroom house in the suburbs, and you're like, I'm not going to install one of these in my house, and you may not. This offers a lot of other information, though, where this, this technology can be used, heating greenhouses, dehydrating food, and, and other stuff. And one of the really cool things that Paul has done with his work with rocket mass heaters is he has actually developed a shippable core that's UL certified, meaning it can go into a typical suburban build and be installed by a sort of, by, by an installer and meet code. That's a pretty big deal. So just think about that and let's go ahead and hear from Paul right here. I'm Paul Wheaton. A few years ago, I was asked to film a sold out workshop on rocket mass heaters. I offered that video as DVDs through Kickstarter, and interest was a hell of a lot bigger than I thought it would be. For those of you that are new to rocket mass heaters, this might be the cheapest, cleanest, and most sustainable way to heat a conventional home. That particular workshop built one pebble-styled rocket mass heater using a shippable core prototype. And since we built the actual rocket mass heater so fast, we were able to squeeze in some stuff about rocket hot water, rocket stoves, and pocket rockets. Fire Science is a three-hour presentation on every rocket mass heater workshop. The people watching the video wanted more. Some people wanted to learn how to make their own shippable core. Some people wanted to learn how to make Cobb-style rocket mass heater. With high-quality recording gear, we set out to expand these goodies for you all. Rather than limit our footage to one small event, we've gathered footage from three workshops, one innovators event, and several other projects covering a total of 10 separate rocket mass heater designs. We then made four more DVDs. The first covers the most basic and popular rocket mass heater construction, featuring two separate designs using Cobb. 
one in a log structure and one in a teepee. The second DVD shows the construction of three pebble-style rocket mass heaters. This includes information on building on a conventional wooden floor. The third DVD shows building several different styles of shippable cores. The last DVD covers the most difficult part of any rocket mass heater build, the manifold. Plus, several new designs from our Innovators event, including a batch box style rocket mass heater burning cleaner than anything we have ever seen. A rocket mass heater that doubles as a cooker and smoker. The ring of fire showing glass in a burn tunnel. And an indoor rocket griddle, oven, and water heater. This all means that we now have a total of eight DVDs and two packages. A little knowledge and some simple materials, and you can have luxuriant, clean, cheap heat. But definitely you want to check out the rocket mass heater stuff from Paul Wheaton. Again, we have fuel shortages. Uh, we have all-time high energy prices, etc. And uh, this is something that I, I really think you should look more into. Let's go on to the clown world. Sorry for that, Paul. We'll, we'll try to make it up to you on the audio side. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, this was something that I looked at this, and I really want you guys that are in the live feed to tell me the first thing that pops into your head. Just go ahead. If it's already there with vegans laying roses on steaks in a supermarket, tell me, you know, what, what's the first thing that you think when you see this? And I'm going to pull it up now and, uh, I'm not going to let you see what I posted and we'll, cause I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but this is what's going on now. Let's, let's let this get back to the beginning because there was an, a specific irony that we'll discuss in a second right there. But here we go. We got masked vegans. You know, of course, they got the virtue signaling surgical masks on and they're laying roses. Yes, the angry farmer has it. Right. So they're laying roses like long stem, beautiful roses on all the stakes in, in the cooler. And the, I saw this and here. I'll pull in what I said now. Vegans, we will protest meat by laying roses on steaks. Me, oh, this is effing great. I buy, I'm buying steaks to cook for my wife tonight, and I get free roses to give her with her meal. Thanks for making sure I have a great night, vegans. Y'all got any candles? This is this is a romantic dinner kit. That that's what this and and I you know it's easy to mock these people. It really is, and we should. This is the clown world after all. Uh, in fact, the uh, Twitter account that originally posted this is called Clown World, and they have some interesting things to follow. But yeah, this is uh, this is pretty funny in my opinion. This is this is a, and the reason that I brought this up is to point something out. Many of the positions that are being forced upon us are so ridiculous that this is a perfect analogy for all of them. They destroy their own argument. Who wouldn't that was going to buy a steak and bring it to their wonderful wife, like my wonderful wife who just brought me a cup of coffee, thank you, baby, uh, be like, you know what? I'm going to take free roses home, cook dinner for my wife tonight, and I would have bought every piece of meat they put a rose on. 
I'm like, oh, no, 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 you can't take them back. No, 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 no. You, you laid it there. I will take it and I will take it home and I will do it with honor and I will present your roses as a sacrifice to the meat gods. Now, I just want you to think how often what these people propose is so utterly stupid that some analogy like this could be made to the fact that the argument or the protest or the statement or the claim in of itself, if we look at it, destroys the argument. And I want to talk about... <laughs> Tim says vegans are going to cause a baby boom. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. If you take a couple like Delmonico's or... uh uh, fillets or T-bones or something at home with a few roses and some candles and you cook dinner, you know, we're going to start playing some Barry White music after that, right? Like some of y'all, like, like me, we're, we're past childbearing years in our marriages. But if you're, if you're 30 something, this is the key to happy wife, happy life and lots of kids right here, guys, right? But there's two things I want to point out here. One, those of you that can't see this, there is a woman in this picture who I guess purportedly is a vegan. And I'm going to say, I'm not being mean. I'm just going to say being conservative, this woman's over 300 pounds. And a lot of people were kind of being mean and saying she ain't no vegan and stuff like that in comments here and there. And I'm like, why do you think that? You think you can't be a fat vegan? You, you, you. This is a problem that we have. We actually think that if you are a vegan, you will be thin. And it, even people that say, well, you're not necessarily going to be healthy, but you would think you would be thin. You can make a lot of vegan pancakes, man. You can make a lot of vegan macaroni and cheese using nut cheeses or something like that. You can eat huge amounts of carbohydrates and significant amounts of very bad-for-you fats, and this will be the result. I'm sitting here, I'm the result of eating as a carnivore. And I used to be about as heavy as that, well, I don't know if I was heavy as her, but I was damn heavy. Not that long ago. This is what carnivore looks like. That's what vegan looks like. So I, I, I did want to point that out, but I also wanted to use it to kind of go into my next, my next one to cover with you with the clown world today. And this is, this is clown world, but this isn't really funny. This is deadly serious. So I had to do some pulling on some strings to figure out what was going on here. But the American Diabetes Association of Maryland, so the Maryland chapter of the Mothership ADA, and we've talked about this before, the American Diabetes Association is not helping diabetics at all. And if you go to the ADA and you look, they have a whole section of the website that's recipes that are recommended to you if you're diabetic, either type 1 or type 2. And let's be honest, most of the people with diabetes in our country are type 2 diabetics, which really is, we shouldn't even call it diabetes. We should call it diet-induced insulin resistance because that's what it is. I think most type 1 diabetes diabetics who are stuck with it for life, have to live with it for life, have no choice in the matter because of genetics would like to punch a lot of type 2 diabetics in the face. But what are these people being told to do? Let me read this for those that aren't on, on the video. So this, again, American Diabetes Association, 
Maryland chapter, what to do with all those delicious vitamin C apples during the apple season. Make homemade apple butter, of course. Stir the apple butter into your morning oatmeal. Spread it on whole grain toast or add it as a glaze to meat. I'm sorry. I thought you were trying to help diabetics. And I found this because Dr. Barry shared it. And this person here, look at this. This is the same group. This is the same group. Double duty banana pancakes. There, this is syrup, bananas, and pancakes for diabetics. This is criminal. This is, this, if, you, if you're wanting to kill diabetics, this is how you kill diabetics. And I found on Facebook, they were telling diabetics to make jam. Like, oh, it's, it's not as hard as you think to make homemade fruit jam. So I did something I haven't done in almost two years. I commented on Facebook. Yes, I broke my own rule, but I thought, now this might be interesting to see what happens. Will I get banned from something I don't use? Maybe. I don't know. So I went there trying to find this post right here on the, on the apple butter, and it was gone. So I, 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 again, I found this post right here, and I said in the comments, so you're trying to kill diabetics then. There was no comments on it. I was the only comment there, and that's all I said. So you're trying to kill diabetics then. You see what it says? This content isn't available right now. They got rid of it. They didn't defend it, and this has apparently been happening left and right. Left and right that, that this particular uh, group from the ADA has been putting up content like this, recommending these things that anybody with a modicum of sense would say should not be consumed by diabetics. This is not good for a diabetic to consume. And, yeah, we're talking about clowns today, and this is clown world stuff. You imagine doctors and scientists telling diabetics, here's a good idea, get some pan for breakfast. You should have some pancakes and put a bunch of sugary bananas on top. And then at lunch, you, and, and, you know, maybe you have a little oatmeal to go with your, uh, your, your, uh, your, your banana pancakes, right? At lunch, why don't you, uh, glaze the meat you put on your sandwich with whole grain bread with apple butter? And, 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 you know, if you have some free time this weekend, whip, some, whip up some jam. Make some jelly, right? Eat jelly till your leg fills up with jelly. It'll be great. And when your foot falls off, it'll taste good. But what's more striking to me, more than anything else here, what's more striking to me is that they, they do not defend it when they're called out on it. That shows malice to me. That shows malice to me. And here's why I mean that. If I had that up on a Facebook page and I was the ADA, a Twitter on my website, whatever, wherever it was, If I put something up like that, and I really believed that it was a good recommendation for the people that are coming to me for recommendations, and somebody said something like that, I would take one of two courses. I would literally tear apart their argument to shreds if I had a scientific basis for it, or if I didn't feel I had time, I would just ban or block them. 
I wouldn't remove the content because I got called out by one random person. I'm sure the ADA of Maryland has no idea who Jack Spirico is. None. And and I, in the discussion on Twitter, I have links to all this in the show notes today. People are telling me that it's been happening left and right. That different parts of the ADA are putting up these things, recommending these things to diabetics, and people are dogpiling it and saying, oh, really? Like, how does that help blood sugar? And then it just goes away like a memory hole. It's almost like they're seeing what they can put, how ridiculous they can be with it before anybody notices. I don't know, are they fine-tuning their marketing so that they can expand their menu options for diabetics and kill them slowly? You do realize... You do realize that the ADA would not benefit in any way if we cut the number of type 2 diabetics in this country, let's say, in half. That their entire purpose in life is to market, you will have diabetes forever, here's how to take care of yourself so you live longer with diabetes. I don't see any content, and I've gone through the, if, you, if I missed it, please tell me, I'll correct myself, you know I always do. I have dug through the ADA website, the main one. I have not seen anything about reversing type 2 diabetes on there. Now, people like myself, people like Ken Berry and others, Thomas Delore, etc., all of us have followers who have emailed us and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just threw away the last of my oral insulin. I don't have to take it anymore. My A1C has me not even pre-diabetic anymore. I've lost 100 pounds plus. I'm no longer diabetic. I won't lose my feet in the next 10 years or have my kidneys blow up because of you. So if there was an actual way, and there is, to reverse type 2 diabetes for like 98% of people, Ken Berry says it's 100% reversible, I'm not a thousand percent sure of that. So I'll take 98.99. Don't you think an organization dedicated to helping those people would at least talk about it? Or at least talk about the idea that if you're a diabetic, type 2, you don't necessarily have to live forever with this. But everything's geared toward management. Because where do we make money? The management of disease. Our entire incentive structure in this country, because of massive amounts of lobbying, regulations, etc., is on the management of disease in the medical field. It is not on the curing of disease in the medical field. If you're going to cure a disease, you have to charge like $10,000 a pill for a five-pill course. Like there are certain drugs that literally can help a person cure cancer. But we got we got to make a hundred grand if we cure a patient, right? But we'll take, or, or a million. I hate to cure a patient, but we'll take, you know, 500 to $1,000 to $2,000 a month forever to manage a disease. And, and we live, it, this is like, it's not funny, but it's a clown world. You have a serious condition that kills hundreds of thousands of people a year. There's plenty of people that die And, they, and they're not officially listed as type 2 diabetics being the cause. But if they weren't type 2 diabetics, they wouldn't have died. They're listed as kidney failure. Well, why'd their kidneys fail? Because they were type 2 diabetic. Or they're listed as they had a heart attack. Well, why'd they have a heart attack? Because they were 500 pounds and a type 2 diabetic, and eventually their body wore out. So we're talking more than, we're talking more than a half million people a year dying of this. Every single 
person that is a doctor in their in their heart actually knows what the solution is. Cut sugar to almost nothing. That's all. That's it. That's all you have to do. You do that, even if it's not like the diet that Ken or I would recommend, or or Tom, like I said, Tom Storer, a lot of people in this space. But you cut sugar to almost nothing, and that includes all the carbohydrates that aren't called sugar. That's all your oranges and your bananas, but it's it's fruit. It's all natural. It's sugar. It's bread. It's complex car. It's sugar. I've said this before. Bring me a pound of sugar and bring me a pound of bread, and I will make you the same amount of ethyl alcohol out of it. Do you understand that? If you bring me 20 pounds of white bread and 20 pounds of white sugar, I will make you approximately the same amount of ethyl alcohol. If you bring me any form of bread and the total carbohydrates minus fiber, and there's not very much, go look at how little fiber is in whole grain bread, right? It's very little. It's not just fiber there. There's more fiber in lettuce than there is in whole grain bread, okay? So go go look at how many carbohydrates are there. And if you bring me, let's say, 100,000 carbohydrates of white sugar, or 100,000 uh, carbohydrates of bread, and I, and I ferment both of them down, run it through my still, I will produce the exact same amount of ethyl alcohol out of both of them. Now, what is the only thing that yeast can consume to make ethyl alcohol? There's only one thing. Sugar. Different forms of sugar, sure, but sugar. It's all sugar. Cut sugar to near zero, any type of diabetic, other than maybe some weird genetic predisposition, some sort of other thing, something's been damaged, I don't know. 99%, 98% will reverse their disease entirely over time, the end. So what are we going to do? Recommend they eat hamburgers with big, giant, whole grain buns. Right? That, that, that This is, it is a clown world, but cl- sometimes clowns are scary and sadistic. So sometimes clowns, sometimes clowns are like Stephen King clowns, right? That's what we're talking about here. This is, this is absolutely ridiculous. So, um, I can't play the Imperial March because apparently the sound is not working off my, my screen today. Let me get this ready before I bring it up. And, uh, somebody did take the Imperial March. And when the, the new the new King Charles, he hasn't had his magic ceremony yet, but he's still king, right? He hasn't been magically anointed under the coronation. And as he's marching in with his soldiers and all, they play the Imperial March. If you follow the link, you'll be able to find it. It's it's totally worth looking at. But let, let's check this out. This is, uh, again, I don't know if maybe there's some special kind of royal pants or something here. But the person that made the, the tweet said, King Charles' pants are on backwards. In case you were having trouble seeing, you are watching a movie. And I don't know about y'all, but, um, yeah, I see no fly there. It, it almost looks like he's wearing an adult diaper to me, too. But I, are, are, are there some sort of weird royal pants in England that don't have a fly? I, it looks like they're on backwards to me. And here's what it makes me think of, right? Who remembers this? For those that can't see, 
I have space balls where President Screw went through the transporter by Snotty, and he ended up with, with his ass in the front. And he's like, why didn't anybody tell me my ass was so big, right? Like, doesn't it kind of look the same? Are, are we really living in a clown world where, like, is, is, has Charles gone Biden or something? Like, I'm not going to stay on this one too long. Or is this some kind of weird ritual? Like, I, I, I'm not claiming, like, usually I, like, research stuff. I couldn't find anything about this. I, I, I couldn't find anything about this at all. Right. Not even like somebody like in like a fact checker or something saying, you know, it didn't really happen or something like that. I found that somewhere else. I, I, I just weird, just weird to me, just totally weird to me. Somebody here says that they're sorry for the queen's death. I'm not. These people don't affect my life and I don't want them to. I think the queen was, a, from what you could see from the outside anyway, a very nice person. And she seems like she would have been kind of cool to hang out with, especially when she was younger. She liked to shoot and ride horses and stuff like that, whatever. But she was a billionaire. She's a 96-year-old billionaire that died of old age. On any given day, on any given day, 150,000 people die in the world. That's an average day. Nothing going on. No scamdemics. No super giant bombs being dropped. Just an average day, 150,000 People die. So roughly 149,000 other people died on the same day that, that, that the Queen did. And I'm sure all of them had people that will miss them. I'm sure many were much younger. I'm sure many died without anywhere near the, uh, the, the amount of opportunity and wealth and, uh, and, and an ability to live that long as well, to be 96 years old. That's not something everybody accomplishes it. And, uh, John Rice is saying he's not sorry when a pedophile does. I say there's no evidence whatsoever that the queen was a pedophile. I think that's unfair. I think that there's a lot of, like, we look like clowns when we say shit like that, right? Now, if you want to talk about Prince Andrew, well, well, okay, we can make a pretty good case for that, right? I don't think the queen of England was a freaking pedophile. It's pretty rare among women to begin with. Um, but I want, let's move on from there because there's not a lot to talk about in that one. Let's, uh, Let's look at this and let's not beat, beat it up too much, but let's, let's talk about it a little bit just from a, it, 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 to lead into the next segment. California facing power crisis threats over electric car charging routines. So a lot, a lot of this was in the news from June up until uh, August when we kind of broke the, the total, total heat wave. And what was ironic about it? was California, right in the middle of this, passed legislation that said no new vehicle can be sold in California after 2035. They always have these way out dates, like it'll never happen or something, like they're not going to have to worry about it. Any, It's like virtue signaling in, what is it, 10, 11, 12 years out, 12, 13 years out. Um, but they, they passed this law, virtue signaling, we're going to get rid of all gas-powered cars. Everybody's going to drive an electric car in the middle of an energy crisis in a heat wave. And then they went out and they told everybody, uh, guys, um, please, um, like we want you to drive your Teslas and stuff and your Chevy Volts and your Ford Lightnings and all. Oh, yeah, it's all great and boom, boom, zoom. But could you not plug them in at peak hours? Which is like when everybody goes home. Okay. Everybody goes home and gets home from work and has dinner. 
and turns the air conditioner down because now you're home. When do you think you're going to plug your car in? And the, the re- response was, well, most people don't charge their cars at peak time anyway. Yeah, they. I would, wouldn't you? You get home from work. The car doesn't have enough energy in it for tomorrow. You don't want it to be empty or not make it. What are you going to do? Wouldn't you like pull your car in your garage and plug it into your power wall instantly? I mean, can, can you, can, what would you, what are you going to do? Like, oh, you know what? I, I'll, I'll go make dinner and I'll wait till the sun goes down. Then I'll go out to the garage and turn it on and plug it in. Most of us would end up forgetting. So the common routine would be you go in and plug it in. Now, There is tech that will help with this, like you plug your car in and it starts charging your car at 9 o'clock. That would be a way to go. And if people are pairing it with a power wall, there's you can draw from the power wall and the power wall recharges off peak hours. Great stuff. But that's not what's happening. And the bigger thing is California goes out and says, hey, don't do it. I mean, in the same breath, they pass the law and then they say, please don't plug it in. Uh, we're not going <laughs> to... You, 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 you just have, and here's another thing. Renegade Butcher says everyone charges their car after work. Doesn't that become the peak time regardless? Yeah. What if everybody plugs their car in at 9.30 at night after the typical peak has passed because the sun's gone down? The electric car draws more energy than the HVAC system. So it becomes, if everybody plugs their car in around the same area of time, it becomes the new peak. I did the research, actual research with actual mathematics and science and facts, not I read an article to confirm my bias. And conservatively, for the average commute the average person has and the amount of energy it requires, it is like adding two to three HVAC systems when you add an electric car to your house. That's conservative. That's con- There are actually people out putting the figure of five. I couldn't get that number to work. I don't care if it's two. If I can't turn my AC down below 78, I got Gavin Newsom wearing a sweater with the thermostat supposedly on 80. Because, yeah, you need a sweater. Come on. Clown world. It is a clown world, guys. It's a total clown world. And, and, no. like, And now, if we plug in, if we double the energy versus HVAC, I think we have a problem. And this is this is something that... I'm going to back up to Charles here for a second, because this may be true. Like, I didn't get this, right? Michael says, Michael V says, those are probably naval dress uniforms. You guys in the Navy, do you not have a fly in the front of your pants? Is that how that works? Who thought that looked good? Man, just when you think you have no... <laughs> I know what's always to say, don't say it, guys. Don't say it. Say it in your head. Say it in your head. <laughs> No, this goes back to what I said a few weeks ago about this subject with the electric cars, though, right? They they can't do this because we don't generate enough energy to charge enough vehicles to make it work. The grid can't handle it, and it's not really the grid as a distribution grid. It's the power on the other end of the grid that has how much power there is to distribute. Every time we have a really bad heat wave or a really bad cold snap, you know, a lot of people jumped on Abbott over a hundred years uh, cold snap in Texas a couple of years ago. It's not Abbott's fault. It's not even defended him. It's just not his fault. 
He doesn't get credit when it works, so he doesn't get the blame when it doesn't. That's how that's how I do this, right? Like, if a politician doesn't get credit for a thing when it's good, I'm not going to blame them when it's bad. Either they're responsible for it or they're not. And the governor of Texas is not responsible for our grid being strained on in a weather event that's a once-in-a-century event. It just isn't. But every time something like, well, I lived in Arkansas. We weren't on the Texas grid. We're on the eastern grid. We had a massive cold front came in, big giant ice storm. Power went out. You know, we start researching it and, and talking to friends and stuff and, and like, what's going on? Like, our, no, lines aren't down. It's just it, the grid, we can't handle it. They're not making enough energy. It's, it's regional blackouts and uh, it'll be back on soon, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Wow. And now we're going to plug in millions of cars with giant battery banks in them and charge them every single day with no plan to change the power generation equation. It's a cloud world. And I, and, and I wanted to kind of transition into some stuff about how every single thing the mainstream seems to think is a good idea for the environment is actually bad for the environment. It actually makes things worse. And not, it doesn't help. It actually increases pollution and increases environmental damage. So let's just go through four of them real quick here today. Row cropping. Now, we do some vegetable row cropping for sure. The produce section in your supermarket exists. Well, what I'm talking about here are these massive farms that are measured in how many tens of thousands of acres they have. Almost everything being done with them is automated now. And we're growing mostly grains and seeds and then to a lesser extent, tubers like potatoes and beets and things like that. Your corn farms, your soybean farms, your wheat farms, your barley farms, your canola farms, all that stuff. Now, not only is this food not a good primary diet for humans, that's a separate debate. And all you have to do, again, go back to the type 2 diabetes discussion to see how that works out. But even if you believe that it was a good diet for humans, there is no case that you can make that plowing a field twice a year in straight lines, completely eradicating all life in the field twice a year, removing all of the roots from the soil twice a year, and starting little bitty plants that have little bitty root systems twice a year, if you are in a two-cropping climate, in other climates you're doing really a one-crop a year, makes sense. If you say, because what is the, the whole story about right now when it comes to, well, we need to eat less animals? What's it all about? Carbon. Too much carbon in the atmosphere. So if you're not going to have carbon in the atmosphere, and you are going to have carbon, everything that exists that's alive on the planet or ever was alive, including you, you are the carbon they want to reduce, is made of carbon. It's called we are all carbon-based life forms. So there's going to be carbon. Don't burn gas. Going to be carbon. The gas comes from oil that was previously living things, carbon. See how that works? Oil used to be a living thing, carbon. It's carbon fuel. That's why it releases carbon when you burn it. But it came from something alive. So if you want to get rid of carbon from the atmosphere... Where does it have to go? 
It either has to be encased in biomass, and when that biomass dies and decomposes, unless somebody buries it, it will off-gas carbon over time. It's called a cycle for a reason, the carbon cycle. If you actually want to reduce CO2 in the atmosphere, I'm not saying we need to, but if you do, where's the only place you can put the carbon? In the ground. You have two choices, atmosphere, ground. All carbon-based material above the soil line will eventually decompose and release its carbon back into the atmosphere. When you, when you burn corn as ethanol, you release carbon in the atmosphere from the corn. Carbon-based life. So if you want carbon to go in the soil, what do you need? Large perennial root systems that are always there, nothing more than dormant in the winter, grow the, the maximum amount of the season. If you go to a pine forest, okay, not the greatest example, but you look at the size of that pine tree, it has a root mass almost equivalent to its above soil mass in the ground. How much carbon does that tree sink into the soil? The answer is a shitload. So if you want to put carbon in soil, we need trees and perennial grass systems and shallow uh, marine systems like mangrove. These are the things that actually bring carbon out of the atmosphere, put it into the soil. So I got an idea. Let's cut all the trees down. Don't let them ever grow. Let's, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's plow the field every year. And let's plant little bitty plants that take forever to get big. And as soon as they get big, let's kill them and start over. So row cropping is the worst environmental thing you can do from an agricultural standpoint. I guess if you were chopping up polar bears and burning them for, to, to heat a greenhouse, it could be worse. Right? That would be about it. Like row cropping is the worst environmental solution in agriculture. It's, it's worse than almost every other option. And it's the number one way they want to feed humanity. They want more and more and more of it and less and less perennial-based systems. You want carbon in the soil, you plant rows and rows of trees, and you, ru you run ruminants in between them. And here, I've said this before. I have certain subjects I'll debate anybody on. I don't care if they're a PhD times three, okay? A PhD cubed, I don't care. Bring them on. I will debate anybody that a civil pasture-based perennial grazing system is better for the environment than any row cropping system you can come up with. Bring it, right? Bring it. I need to put out a page, like 10 debates I'm willing to have with anybody and watch nobody take them because nobody wants to actually have this debate because if you're actually informed enough to have the debate, you know you're going to lose, but it goes against your agenda. This is all agenda-driven. This is not science-driven. Next, electric vehicles. We just talked about those. Well, surely, Jack, those are good for the environment. Ask the kid. It's like 12 years old being used as slave labor to mine cobalt in Africa about that. See, we have this thing in Western society. Pollution's not real if we don't see it. So we can go to Beaumont, Texas, and we can look at a refinery right here on our own shore, and we can go, ew, and it is pretty disgusting. I'm not here to completely defend the oil industry, right? I, I'm really not. I look at fossil fuels, specifically oil and coal, is we really need to do a better job and do something else. We're just not there yet, and I don't want a bunch of people to die while we figure it out. 
So let's look at transitional technologies across time and actually be able to generate the power before we cut ourselves off and kill people. I find that to be a humane way. But we look at that and we see that, right? Or we go to a gas station and we smell the vapors of gasoline and we say, yeah, clearly this can't be good. But if we have a giant hole the size of a county in Australia or Africa or China with giant pools of toxic, literal goo where they use acids to wash out these metals, nickel, cadmium, lithium, etc., zinc, we're like, oh, it's not really pollution because we don't see it. It's over there. It's over there. People will lose their minds about a pipe buried in the ground that moves oil. And they'll prefer children being used as slave labor to pull cobalt out of the ground in one of the most environmentally toxic environments that's ever been created by mankind. I don't know if you've ever been to Africa or at least looked into this, but they don't exactly have very stringent environmental regulations. So this whole, like, electric cars in of themselves are not a bad thing. An electric car performs better for the money and lasts longer than a petroleum-based vehicle, period. I'm sorry if you don't agree with it. I'm sorry if you don't like it. Go drive one. Go drive one and find out. Yeah, Renegade Butcher says it's almost like nuclear would be cleaner uh, than what we are doing. It, it, it would. No, nuclear is the answer. Nuclear is the transitional technology. New nuclear using thorium-based reactors that pose almost no environmental risk and produce very little actual waste. Even the old-school reactors that I'm not for building more of don't actually produce anywhere near as much waste as people think. And the the, the heavy fuel can actually be recycled and reused. So nuclear is the answer, but I'm not going there today. I'm sticking to this electric vehicle thing. Electric vehicles don't don't parrot the, 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 the FUD of, you know, the battery wears out in two years. No, it doesn't. The newest batteries that they're putting in these vehicles have a 10-year lifespan if they're managed properly. That, that That's amazing. Go drive a Tesla. Not even a super badass one. Just the, like the entry-level Tesla. It'll snap your neck back when you take off. They're, they're wonderful vehicles to drive. But we build these batteries from all this toxicity that we pull out of the earth. As bad as that is... Then what happens at the end? The batteries are incredibly difficult to recycle, so they're just disposed of in a non-environmentally friendly way. So we're creating a pollution problem twice. We're harming the hell out of people because this is being done in the third world mostly where it's not seen. So electric vehicles, the way they're being done and the way they're being pushed are terrible for the environment. You'd think if you were going to mandate the production of something, You would mandate that it be done in an, for the environment. You'd mandate it be done in an environmentally friendly way. You'd be like, okay, we want you to build these cars, but you can't use cobalt mined by child slaves in Africa in an environmentally friendly way. And even if we let you do that, you guys have to build the batteries so they're designed to be recycled, or you can't build the batteries. Now you're going, Jack, you're supposed to be an anarchist. Yeah, but I didn't do any of this. I'm saying if you're going to mandate this in the name of the environment, you should mandate it and be done in a way that actually helps the environment. But we live in a clown world, so the hell with that. EVs, the way they're being done, terrible for the environment. Worse than coal and gas, right, or coal and oil. And you won't find somebody 
that hates coal more than me. I grew up in the coal region of Pennsylvania. I've seen the environmental damage that coal mining and coal breakers do. I despise the coal industry. I also don't want people to die. And I know that a lot of the way coal is being extracted today is it's still awful. It's so much better than it was, except in China where they don't care. And they got to pass on everything. We're supposed to all freeze and die. The Europeans are supposed to all freeze and die. China gets a pass. It's okay. They're China. It's cultural or something. I don't know. You're not allowed to say anything about it from your place of privilege. It's absolute nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Next, civil water drainage systems. Go try to build a house in Maryland where they've really gotten insane with this. Maryland's like one of the worst. Again, I've done the actual research, not looking for articles that back up my own bullshit. It adds tens of thousands of dollars to the cost of new construction per home in Maryland. The regulations that they have for uh, drainage. Sounds like a good idea. It's all done in the name of environmentalism. But how do these drainage systems work in all of these places? They move the water as quickly as possible into storm drains and dump it as fast as possible into creeks. We're going to rivers. They're going to oceans and bays. So we have all these cars running around. They're not all electric yet, and they have all this residue. Have you ever been out, you're driving, and it hadn't rained in a couple weeks or a couple months or longer, and you get one of those rains where it's just a misty rain? It's it, it's very hazardous driving condition, isn't it? Like if it pours, it's one thing. But what you guys know what I'm talking about is just enough to barely wet the road. It's like driving in freaking sleep. You start slipping on stuff. You know what that is? That's all that oil residue. That's all that, that's all that exhaust and the residues that come out with it. That's all that petroleum based residue off thousands and thousands of tires going over that spot. It's like a film. And when there's just a little bit of water, it starts to float and it's like driving on a thin coat of oil. Because that's what it is. So what happens when you put all of that water as fast as possible into a storm drain and then put it into the groundwater? You take it and every other bit of toxicity with it. What else do you do? Well, you, you mandate, hey, we want our property values to look good. So the blue hairs all get together, form HOAs, and all of a sudden everybody's using true green chemical lawn services. Because if your lawn is not perfectly green, you get a fine that a court will enforce. So all that shit that's sprayed on those lawns every year, where does it go? It washes into the street. It goes into the storm drains. It goes into our groundwater and eventually our oceans and seas. You see a problem here? And this is done in every major metropolitan area. The only place I know that stopped doing this lunacy was driven there by an anarchist named Brad Lancaster. It's Tombstone, not Tombstone, uh, Tucson, Arizona. Brad Lancaster and his people, look him up later after the show, guys, if you've never seen this before. They went in and they cut the curbs, the concrete out of the curbs, and they directed the water into the nature strip is what they call it in the U.K. and in Australia, which is you got a sidewalk and you got the road, and you got that strip of dirt in between it. They, they basically built natural wells, directed the water in there, planted trees in it, and filled them up with mulch. And instead of letting the water run down into the storm drains and dissipate to nowhere in the middle of a desert, they put the water into the the ground 
which means any water that eventually does get down into the aquifers or does flow into the rivers and streams does so after filtering through the earth across time, like God intended, by the way. And what that does is it allows nature to break down toxins. You know, for all of Paul Wheaton's freaking out about, you know, there's persistent herbicide and everything. You hear what Jeff Lawton says? You compost properly, stop worrying about it, unless you know you're getting contaminated shit in large amounts. That nature will lock up toxins if you give it time. So the civic water drainage systems, which are adding massive cost to housing that they claim to care about, are actually bad for the environment. And there's another one. Get me a civil engineer and try to prove me wrong on this. I'll debate you. They'll never come. Crickets. That's all you ever hear to any of this stuff. Redneck hippie duck farmer. Take me down. I'm easy. No. Clown world. Here he's not worthy of debating. Then prove me wrong with an article. Go ahead. Do it. I dare you. Go ahead. I'll tear it apart. It's actually easier than doing a debate. I have time to look stuff up and call you on your bullshit and cite sources. There's no way that taking water as fast as possible into our streams and rivers is a good idea. But it's the way the code is written across the whole country. Anyway, Brad Lancaster did this thing in a couple neighborhoods in Tucson. And eventually the city kind of catches on to it. But when they look at it, even a bureaucrat goes, wait a minute. These people don't water their lawns or anything. We're always telling people only water once a week or whatever. Zero escape. And they're like, it's like a, it's like a, a desert jungle. It's like, it's not, it's not going to ever look like the Amazon, right? But it's huge mesquite trees and other desert native trees and shade everywhere. People hanging out like, wait a minute, before we go messing with this, like somebody in the Tucson government basically had a brain that hadn't completely turned into oatmeal yet and looked at it and they actually are doing this now. They're mandating new developments, use similar techniques to create a certain amount of catchment, you know, per square foot per gallon of water. Basically, they're saying you have to do this now, right? You, you have to do this now, right? Anyway, moving on, um, high-density population centers. I, I do want to kind of tell you guys about this because when it was going on, just to be completely honest, I've always been someone that cares about the environment. I've always been somebody that, that is concerned about pollution. Again, I grew up in the coal region. I saw what it did and I saw what stopping it did. Right. I, there was this, there was this river. And to me, it wasn't really, they call it a river, a little schuylkill, but it was really more a big creek. And my grandfather told me that long before I was born, that brook trout used to swim up that creek in spawning season in the fall. And it looked, they looked like salmon or so many of them were so big. And I looked at this water and it was orange. It was disgusting. It smelled like shit. And some days it would be different colors because they dump different things from different mills into it, like dyes and stuff from the textile mills. And I thought my grandmother, my grandfather was insane. I thought he was lying to me. And my uncle Pete, my great uncle Pete, about his same age said, no, he's not wrong. It used to be like that. And he said, I said, well, what happened? He said, well, the mills and all are bad, but really the problem is, all the runoff from all the strip mining and everywhere there's coal, there's sulfur. And that orange is in there because the sulfur ran into the water and the sulfur is so high in the water that it's oxidizing. And I'm a kid. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He goes, it, it rusted. It's basically it rusted. 
And if it oxidizes, it takes the oxygen out of the water. So the oxygen levels are so low in the water, until you fix that, you can't fix it. Because if there's no oxygen in the water, and if all the oxygen being made by the agitation is constantly being taken into this oxidative process, you know, it'll never work. And I left for the Army. And something happened with Clean Waters Act or something like that. And these these coal companies were forced to cap all this shit and stop it while I was gone. I was only gone three years. It actually started before I left, a couple of years before I left, but it wasn't noticeable yet. I got home, and I stayed there for a while before I came to Texas. And I was talking to my dad about going fishing. He says, I'll go down to shit cricket. There's, there's trout all up in there now. And I'm like, what? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me, okay? What? What, what did you just say? He goes, oh, yeah, um, this, this Kugelhaven Dam, they had this gate that they opened, and it flows into the uh, a tributary that goes into it now. And a bunch of trout got out of there, and now they got, and then they're, they're brookies, so they started breeding, and they're native now, multi-generations. There's, there's brook trout all through that creek, and people aren't keeping them, so the population's high because they still say the mercury levels aren't safe. But if you just want to fish, you can go fish. I thought he was nuts. I thought he lost his mind. I went down there, started throwing some spinners, and just started banging these beautiful brook trout. So I saw that happen in five years maximum, from stopping that to look coming back. So I've that was when I was 21 years old. I've always cared. But what I'm being honest about is it's not like I was an activist or anything, and there was a time in my life where I didn't have time to worry about it anymore, like most people. I was working my ass off trying to take care of my son and my wife. I was traveling with sales, and I was involved in all these technical committees. So I would hear this, and I would think, well, maybe they're right. And so many of these people came into these Chamber of Commerce things. This is part of what people call Agenda 21, now 2030. It's a real thing. If you don't believe it's real, go look it up. The people behind it don't even don't even claim it's not real. They just claim it's not for the same reason that other people say This is an agenda. It's called an agenda. They put a label on it. It's an agenda. And it's designed to work through all these small, tiny governmental and non-governmental organizations, grassroots level, and it looks so pretty when it's a bike path or a pretty park. But the main goal is high-density population. Now, do you know why you can never make the case that high-density population is good for the environment? Because there's no case in which concentration of waste is good for the environment. If I put more people into a smaller area, I concentrate all their waste. So either I have to export their garbage or pipe their crap. So right there, we have a problem. The next thing is we go back to the drainage. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to eliminate the hell out of green areas to get it done. Go to New York. Like when you see a patch of grass anywhere other than Central Park, it's like a halo around it. Oh, that's what high density looks like. Go to any super high density place in the world. There's very little green space. Less green space, not good for the environment. But the bigger thing, it is impossible for a person in that environment to significantly contribute to their own existence from a standpoint of food. Not everybody's going to be a homesteader. Not everybody has to. Not everybody's going to have a garden. But if you go out into this, even just the suburbs, which are poorly designed and not not optimum either, you see an awful lot of people gardening and doing things and you know, urban homesteading and all now. And the, and the less dense you get, the more you see of it because the more it's doable. 
it's also the case that that person can't be responsible for a certain amount of environmental impact mitigation by taking care of their own little place. My little three acres doesn't have a big impact on Tarrant County, Texas for the good. But there's thousands of people just like me and combined, we matter. We have an impact. We have an effect. We are po- we are net positive for the environment. The fact that I eat duck eggs instead of go to the store and buy commercial duck eggs doesn't matter. But the literal thousands of people around me that eat duck eggs and chicken eggs that they produce, that matters. That's a load off the system. When you move everybody into high density, you completely destroy the capacity for that to even be absorbed. So high-density population centers, which is the main point of all this, do not be deceived. That is the main thing that they want to do. They want to move as many people as possible into the highest-density situations that they can. I remember, I'm, I'm going back, and these guys are making the case of how America used to be. And this is nothing really like how America used to be when you do it with everyone. But they were like, what we should have is shops, and people that run the shops should little above their shop. That's still done in some places. You talk about high density here. And then your commute is you just go downstairs. I guess, and you can do what? Watch somebody from the upper window shit on the front porch of your business and not do anything about it in San Francisco? Nothing about this. Nothing about this makes any environmental sense. And you either have to believe that the people that are pushing it are also stupid that they really don't understand any of this or they're not doing it for the sake of the environment at all. There's really not another option here. It's one or the other. It can't be both. So here's my question. Do you think they really don't understand what I'm telling you or do you think it's more that they don't care? That what they're really after is control of humanity and who's easier to control? Who's easier to control? Where, this is, I've talked about this before too. Another, there's plenty of clowns on the right. I guess they're jokers on the right, clowns to the left of me, jokers on the right. Um, there's plenty of jokers on the right that make ridiculous claims as well. What, and what the, the claim that they make is, I don't want people moving to my state from liberal states. Because that means liberals come to my state and make it in a liberal state. And when I was talking about this a few years ago, and I'm like, you know, if you're tired of oppression in your state, you're welcome here in Texas. You're all going, it's your fault the liberals are coming. Like, like liberals are coming from California because of me. And, and my response was, do you know where liberals come from in Texas? Dallas Independent School System. Austin Independent School System, Fort Worth Independent School System, San Antonio Independent School System, Houston Independent School System. Cities create liberals. And I almost hate using that word. I almost hate using that word. Cities create leftists. The word liberal has been so destroyed from what is a classic liberal to what are called liberalism today. It's, it's not, we shouldn't even use it anymore. Cities create leftists. Cities create people who seek dependency upon the state. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense, because I've said this before, too. Why do people move to cities? And, and I want you to answer it with a single word. 
And every word you come up with, other than the word that I'm going to give you, will be covered by the word I'm going to give you. People will say jobs, opportunity, money, right? It's security. People go to cities for security. And that might sound counterintuitive because, well, some cities are dangerous. Well, nobody wants to live in the dangerous part of the city. I'm saying you got a kid living in small-town rural America. He gets through his college or whatever, and he goes off and moves to Dallas like I did, right? Why do you go to these places? And the number one driver is jobs. You going to tell me employment isn't a form of security? Are you going to tell me employment isn't a form of security? Making money isn't a form of security. People move to cities because it offers a certain amount of guaranteed opportunity, which is a form of security. Convenience is a form of security. It's the people go to cities for security. And in a lot of ways, cities deliver security. And in in times not so long ago, go back a couple thousand years, cities represented a ton of security from hordes, right? Because they were walled and they had security forces. They had basically soldiers that when shit went on and you were outside, everybody went inside the city walls. Cities represented security for as long as cities have been around. So the person that lives in a city is guaranteed a certain level of security until it starts to fall apart. We'll, we'll let that go for now, right? And so it becomes, in their mind, the responsibility of the state to provide the security, and now you have a leftist, a Marxist, a socialist, whatever you want to have, call them. So if they can move enough people into the cities... They know they get total control because people that live in cities like to be controlled. And people that move to cities and don't really like it have children. Then they try to raise their children like, we only live here because, and we're still committed to these values. And those people hold their values, and then they're shocked when their children become Romans. You raised them in Rome, and you let a Roman school raise them. And then you sent them to a Roman university, and they came back to you Romans, and you were surprised. This is the agenda. If I get people close enough together, it's much easier to police them because it's much easier to have me police themselves with their Kens and their Karens, right? It's much easier to quantify them, control them, tax them, manipulate them. There's nothing about environmentalism going on here. Let's shift gears a little bit to some positive stuff as we end up. This guy, Zuby, that I follow, really love this guy. He's a black dude from the UK, university educated Really deep thinker. If you listen to some of his interviews, Natalie Burnell uh, from uh, her podcast, uh, Coin Stories with Natalie Burnell, her interview with him was fantastic. You, 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 you know, he is a Bitcoiner. She's got a Bitcoin show. 90% of that interview is not about Bitcoin. You really get an understanding for how deep of a thinker this man is. He's very big into physical fitness. He's got a book, Something Strong or Strong Life or Live Strong or something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but... Uh, strong advice. That's what it is. Strong advice. And uh, it's all really directed at young men. Like, work out. Take care of yourself. Be a man. Take care of a woman in your life. Like, you know, core values. And he's a black guy. So, of course, the left absolutely hates him. Just it just despises him. And he just thrives on it. And he's, he's, he's preaching a positive message to his people. Again, he's a rap guy. I don't know any of his music. He's probably good or he wouldn't be successful at all. Just not my thing. Right. Um, he had a tweet and this was the first sentence of it. He said, my message is specifically for people who are at least trying to win in various aspects of their life. 
do. There was more to it. That's all I needed. Guys, that is who I am as well. Different people, same objective. My message is for people who are trying to win, at least in some areas of their life. And this is why you hear it from me. You hear it from John Willis. You hear it from Nicole Sauce. There's a reason the three of us do a show together once a month. We have like a complete distaste for people who are defeatists. We have a complete distaste for people who come to us and go, I want to do a thing. And you say, here's all the ways you can do a thing. And they immediately have an objection to everything you gave them as a solution. Well, that won't work because I call them Eeyores. Like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? I have no time. The people are like, they're just going to take over everything. Why are you here? What are you doing here? Why did you come to the Survival Podcast? So did you think I was going to tell you we're all going to get arrested by the UN and go to a camp together? And come up with a song we can all sing while we're there, while we die? You have to want to win. And I'll ask you, every one of you today, even those of you that are very positive people, what do you want to win at? It's an interesting thing. We don't, we don't teach people to ask themselves that question, do we? Of course we all want to win. If you say, do you want to lose? People are like, oh, I don't want to lose. You want to win? Yeah. What do you want to win at? Tempted to say life. But what life? What does win at life mean? When I worked for Fluke Networks, had a company car, a massive expense account, could travel anywhere I wanted within my region, had 38 people working for me, made a huge salary, was I winning at life? Would anybody who had looked at me from the outside not said, that dude's freaking 27 years old, North, Northeast Regional VP of Sales. Yeah, he's no college degree. Yeah, he's winning at life. Hated my life. Hated my life. Hated leaving Sunday night, coming home Friday evening, dead to the world. Not even really like I saw, but not visit, like really seeing, not even really seeing my son and my wife until I woke up the next day and kind of got the sleep out of my eyes. And looking at my son and thinking he grew. He's literally a little tiny bit taller. He's starting to get some facial hair. I missed that. Listening to him tell me about his basketball game and what I missed. I wasn't winning at life. I was winning at rising up in corporate America. And it made me miserable. And it put me on the path that eventually made me fat. What do you want to win at? Have you even ever thought about it that way? I want to build a business. I want to win at that. What do you want that business to look like when you when you've built it? How do you want your life to be after you've built it? If you have a job where you work 40 hours a week and you're miserable and you trade it for self-employment of a job that you work 60 hours a week and you're also miserable, your life actually got worse. Unless the 60 hours of misery is going to lead to 30 hours and a lot of freedom a couple of years later, you might have to do it in the middle. But you need to design to an objective in everything in your life. That's what winning in various aspects of your life means. I want to get in better shape. What does that look like for you? What does that mean? If you get in great shape and you work out on a piece of gym equipment every day, 
but you still spend your life mostly playing video games when you're 35 years old, young man, you're not winning at life. You might look a little better, pick a few more chicks up on whatever that dating app is you guys use, Tinder or whatever, but you, you're really not winning at life. You're not going anywhere. You're not making anything happen. All you're setting yourself up for is to die old and alone. Because eventually, no matter how much health you have, it will begin to decline. You're more. Might want to turn off the whatever box it is you guys play. What do you want to win at, though? I want a homestead. What do you want it to look like? What do you want it to look like? I want to have enough money to live my life. What do you want your life to look like? Then you can reverse engineer the cost of it, and you can know how much money you have to make, and then you can engineer how much money you want to make. But it all starts from having the desire to achieve, the, 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 the desire to be successful. And you can never do it. You can never do it. If you've already accepted defeat. And so most of you haven't or you wouldn't still be here. Most of my listeners have been with me a significant period of time. Some a year, that's a significant period of time of a podcaster. I have listeners I hear from often who have been with me more than a decade. That is amazing, and thank you. God, thank you for that. You, you, you have enabled my life. Thank you. So much. So most of you haven't. Don't think it doesn't affect you, though. When you listen to a news stories, oh, there's nothing we can do. Oh, Mark Zuckerberg's going to take the world over with the metaverse. There's nothing we can do. No one makes you put the goggles on. I'm not doing it. There's so many things that they say they're going to do, and they say you're going to do it too, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. We're going to ban this. Well, I'm going to have it anyway. We're going to do it. No, you're not. My goal in life, the thing I want to win at, I want to be as ungovernable as possible. I want to be as ungovernable as possible. I want to be the guy that I do what I want to do. And I don't do things just because somebody said I can't. That's another method of being controlled. You know, you're not allowed to go out in the street and light yourself on fire. I'll show them. Start throwing some gas on yourself, right? And some of y'all, with some of the things that you go out and bait the state with, Not y'all so much, but certain people. You know who they are in our in our sector, right? What's his name? Adam Kokesh. I love the guy, but I mean literally like begging to get arrested. No. I don't mean that way. I mean I have the life I want to live, and I live my freaking life the way I want to live it. If you don't like it, I don't care. I want to win. I want success. And I know what success I want, and that amazingly is more than half the battle to getting it. It really is. Last, I really want you guys, even those of you who've done it before, I want you to watch Harrison Bergeron. I'll see if I can remember, and I'll add a link to the show notes today. I already have a link in there that'll take you to Odyssey on my Odyssey channel. The entire movie, full-length movie, is there. And the reason I gave you the Odyssey version is you can just download it. And keep it because it has been memory hold in a lot of places. And you, if you watch it, you'll understand why. So the original story was a short, very short story by um, Kurt Vonnegut. And it was a, a dancer who was basically hot, uh, weights were used to keep him from fully expressing what he could do. And 
he cast off his weights and he performed beautifully and no one could remember seeing anybody so talented. And then he died because man was not born equal, but it is government's responsibility to render them. So, and somewhere in the nineties, somebody got a hold of this idea and made a movie again with Sean Austin in it called Harrison Bergeron. And it's a much, it's a much more expanded view of things. And in the movie, people wear a band around their head. And what they do is they try to basically like a perfect student in school always gets C's. C's are the, C's are the new A. A F is bad, but an A is worse. The F student needs to work a little harder to get a C, but the A student is required to do their best. And then the band is adjusted to the point where they get a C. Otherwise, they're not doing it right. All people must be rendered equal by the state. And so when someone's achieving a little bit too much, they keep going back to their doctor and they keep turning up the band. And if they get to the point where they realize this person is not controllable with a band, they're supposed to have a surgery that mentally incapacitates them and makes them happy like everybody else. Everybody else is a bunch of idiots. But it turns out there's this secret governmental organization that oversees everything because if you let every all the C students do everything, there are certain things that will fall apart. So the main character ends up brought into this group, and it's told through that lens. And eventually he rebels. And I don't want to tell you what happens. But he is Harrison Bergeron. Not the amazing dancer that was Harrison Bergeron's story. The young guy who's just smart, who wants a life of things like that are intellectually challenging, like playing chess against people that are actually good at it, rebels. But what do you think that band recommends or represents? What do you think the band around the head that's turned up to destroy the mind's capacity to think and to render all equal represents? It's a band. What travels in bands? Radio. Television signals. Bands. Signals. The band represents media. The dumbing down of society through the use of media. If it's on the box, it must be true. My experts said it must be true. This movie could not be made today. I guess it could be made by an independent filmmaker or something like that, but it would have to be in like the little theaters and, and whatever, you know, like it would never get onto a major network today. This is like, it's like the most unwoke thing ever, and it's not even in that realm. Like, I, I believe that if you played this for a group of like second year philosophy, gender studies students, even though it never brings it up, they would lose their minds. Oh, and do you know how they elect the president in this movie? The president is selected once every four years randomly out of the phone book. That's, I'm not kidding. They determined it was just easier 
and it didn't matter, and it would pretty much be the same anyway. Oh, and in this new society, pretty much every every crime is punishable by death. Like you park illegally, you end up in front of a firing squad, and it's the price we pay for a civilized society. Yeah, watch it, watch it, and don't, like I said, you can let younger kids watch it. It's not like they show gratuitous violence with the firing squads. They let you know what's going on. If you think your kid can't handle it, don't show it to them. But definitely 14-year-olds. I think 14-year-olds are intellectually where they would really get it. This is an incredible movie. And, again, I'll try to remember the podcast I did. And I really recommend that you check it out if you haven't done so. With that, let's see if I got a few. I've been highlighting some stuff, but I didn't really know if they were questions. I've seen quite a few um, all caps come through. A uh, joint air says pasta breads and also beware of high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. This is the thing though with the high fructose corn syrup argument. I don't want any food that has high fructose corn syrup in my life, but pasta without high fructose corn syrup is still, po- it's still sugar. It's still sugar. I don't think joint air is saying anything otherwise, but, um, yeah, there's, if you've never really researched where high fructose corn syrup syrup came from, how we ended up with it, from just regular uh, uh, corn syrup, like how we ended up with this the high fructose. You should research because all you need to do is understand that, and, and you you won't want it. Uh, Hunters says, check what hashtag. What what do you want the hashtag uh, to be for your debate me clips? I don't know. I don't know. I. I you know what it makes me think of, though? Anybody here ever see the, the movie with Chris Rock in it called Head of State, where he has a running for president? And he was like, the it's a total comedy movie, right? Like, what's well, Chris Rock, right? Um, it's a Chris Rock or Chris Tucker. I don't know. They're one of the two. Are they the same? I don't even know who they are, right? But I remember the movie. And so the, the vice presidential candidate and the presidential candidate that have been nominated a few weeks before the election, they're both flying on planes, and they make up the story where there are two flame, planes flying into each other, collide, and they both die. And the guy that's like the Speaker of the House or the Senate Majority Leader or something like that for the party that's out of power is like, I want to run next time. The current president's too hard to beat. And this it, it, Chris saves um, Chris saves uh, an old lady in a fire and, and what have you, and he's an alderman. And they're like, that's our guy, because he'll lose, but we'll be the first, you know, party to ever field an African-American uh, candidate. That's how old this is. And so he runs for president. Bernie Mac's in it. He ends up, Bernie Mac plays his brother. He makes Bernie his, uh, his running mate. And when, like, when he's asked in a debate about NATO, he's like, NATO, I don't know NATO. Well, I don't go talking about people I don't know. What are you going to talk about people you don't know for, right? Like, it was, and he's like, you know, why, why would a bail, and he's a bail bondsman, why would a bail bondsman be a, a good vice president. He said, United States is bailing people out all the time. It was, it was a good movie, but the president is so far ahead of him that he just simply refuses to debate. That's a standard political move that, that people that are far enough ahead in the polls tend to just say, there's no reason to debate. All I can do is lose. And Chris starts stalking him everywhere. Debate me, debate me. And like just talking shit to him and talking smack and like, we need a hashtag that kind of does that. But, I don't, I don't think any of these debates will ever happen, guys. Remember, I have an open debate that's been open for over two years to debate on the efficacy and safety of hydroxychloroquine, where I offered my opponent every advantage and said, if you don't think it's fair for me, you don't want me to do it because I'm not worthy, I will find an MD or PhD to debate you if that's what you need and take my side of the debate. 
Nobody's ever stepped up and done it. They're, they're afraid. And this whole, you know, I don't want to give you credibility shit, bullshit. Bullshit. If they thought they could win, they would do it. At least somebody would. Uh, next, Black Pelican Custom Rods, who makes beautiful rods, by the way. You should solely check out his stuff. He says, I live right off the Fishkill River, just east of Redding. Water is crystal emerald green in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing is, that, that's an interesting thing, Fishkill. So there's a town up in Michigan or Wisconsin or something called Fishkill. And the PETA people, this is, again, PETA, just can't get anything right. They want to get rid of um, the name Fishkill in the town because it's bad to kill fish. You know what a Fishkill is? In the rivers with the dams, they put up these places that the fish can get around the dam to go upstream to spawn. That's a Fishkill. A Fishkill is the thing that helps fish reproduce. It helps fish survive, and they want to get rid of it. Uh, nothing surprising there. Uh, Ecomass says, Jack, what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Napoleon Hill being channeled there. I, I believe that is mostly true. I think if the mind can conceive and believe that one can levitate, it's not necessarily the case that you can. So I think there are limits to all things, but I think we are far too quick to assume limits beneath our actual abilities. That's the way I would put that, but thanks for bringing it up. Chris B., are we are human capital. Give up. Um, okay, you give up, Chris. I'm not sure. Unless I got you wrong, you give up. I'm not giving up. Like I said, uh, my my work is done for people that want to win, that want to win. Sean Austin was Mikey in the Goonies. I did not know that. I do remember the movie The Goonies way, way back in my brain pan somewhere. I remember The Goonies. Uh, but I didn't know that was Sean Austin. Uh, I, what I remember him most from is Rudy, uh, in the movie Rudy. Anyway, with that, guys, I, I enjoyed being with you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, I always do my best for you. I think I got some timing off a little bit today, and I think it was because right out of the gate, something that I expected to work didn't work. And, uh, that's all right. Things happen. Uh, but I do want to also remind you guys that, uh, if you want to help support the show and the work that we do, you can do that by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. I got an item of the day for you today that this really is one of the most useful things on my homestead. These are mono price releasable cable ties, zip ties. Uh, I know you might be like, it's a zip tie, dude. So what? Okay. So what these things do that normal zip ties don't do is they have a release tab which means they're reusable. So you put them on a thing, and unlike a regular cable tie where, like, oh, I don't want it on there anymore, you have to cut it to get rid of it, you push the tab and you pull it open. They're also really thick and really strong, and they last a long time even outdoors. They're UV stabilized. They really are, again, one of the most useful items on my homestead. Holding things together is something that is really, really important in the real world. I've used them to make, like, temporary gates. I've used them to fix stuff on fencing. You read this article I have on the website. Uh, I even tell the story, not using releasable ones, but how a certain person in my past fixed a tie rod on a truck temporarily with tie wraps. I don't recommend that. Uh, myself and the other individual that didn't know that had been done, actually, specifically, uh, my buddy Brad wanted to kill this guy, Dean, who did it and didn't tell us about it. Uh, but if it'll do that, you got to think there's not a lot of things that they won't do. 
The big reason I brought them around today, though, they're on sale for about six bucks a pack, the eight inch and 10 inch ones. And if you need a longer one, you always put two together. And since they're reusable, they'll come back apart when you don't need them anymore. I have these things like in my bug out bag, my go bag. I have them in the glove compartment of my car. I have a couple great big bags of them at all times in my shop. It's one of those things you don't realize how valuable they are until you use them. When I go fishing, I have, when I break my rods down to transport them, I, I tie them together. And then when I get where I'm going, I just kind of put them together like a chain and hang them off of my stuff. And when I pack everything up to go, it holds everything back together. If I'm like when I'm out in a boat and you're going and the boat's bouncing and you have your rods rigged up and they go wrapping around, we just put one up on the rod and it keeps that from happening. When you get where you're going, they're not all tangled. There's just so many things I've used these things for. And the way I'll take a bundle of them, I take one of them, and I wrap it around and just make a bundle out, one holding the rest of them. Like I said, throw them in the glove box, throw them in the box of your, your you know, glove box of your boat if you have a boat. Um, yeah, but if you if you help if you want to help me, a really simple way to do that, just do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com, and you'll help me out no matter what you buy with that, guys. It's been another great day. Tomorrow we have an expert council Q&A show, so there will not be a live stream tomorrow, uh, but there will be a great show. I was a little worried. My expert council was kind of piking on me. This is piker time of year. Kids going back to school, end of summer, heading into fall. A lot of piking happens. A lot of stuff's going on. Um, I shook the piker tree, and a bunch of really great content came out, and uh, I, I, I think you'll really enjoy tomorrow's uh, show. Remember, again, that the TSPC Fall Workshop goes on sale the 24th of September, 9.30 Central Standard Time. I think it's the 24th. It's that weekend. That's a Saturday. The announcement is on the website. You need to be on the Telegram channel, honestly, if you're going to have any chance of coming this year. Uh, I normally do uh, 65 students. I've done that the last couple of years. It's too many. I've cut the student head count to 50. And last year we sold 65 seats in honest to God under two minutes, two minutes. And so I'm probably going to come out with a video this week for some things people need to know about that. That's not a podcast, just a video telling you like what to expect, your best chance of getting in, things like that. And I want to try to mitigate something that that happened to me a couple of times in the past. And last year, two or three people really being nasty about it. They filled out the form, and you fill out the form, and then you make payment. And there's a lot of people doing it at the same time. And I had some people who, you know, they wanted to come meet me, cuss me out because they didn't get a ticket. And so I'm going to probably do a quick video where I explain the whole process so people know what to expect. And I'm also going to tell people, like, like if it's you and a spouse or you and a kid, and, and, and what kid is acceptable and what kid isn't. Basically, I say kids six, 16 and up with kids because this is an adult environment, guys. It's not a good place for, um, it's not a good place for really young kids. It just isn't. It's, it creates issues. People want their kids to come for free and stuff, but it, I, I'm going to allow people to order two tickets if you are a family related couple. And if people abuse that, I'm going to, I'm going to just, give you a refund and, and, and not let you come. So I, I'm going to probably do a video on that. I, I don't want people angry with me that they didn't get in. And it's, I don't know, it kind of hurts a little bit. I'm not, I'm not real soft on feelings, man. But when you have somebody cuss you who purportedly wanted to come be with you, 
because you ran a fair system and it didn't work out for him. That kind of sucks. And I, the, the one person in particular, I said, don't ever try to come. I'm kind of glad you didn't get in now that you acted this way. But I also think that some of that can be mitigated with a full understanding. So I'll put something out like that probably over the weekend and be on the look for it. Cause I'll give you some tips about how to make sure you do the bet, you know, you're ready to go and you, you know what's up. And I think one of the things I can do to help people, there's a couple questions on the form that helps us manage like parking and stuff like that. And if you know what they are in advance, you'll already have thought about it. Maybe get through the form faster. Anyway, I, I wish we could take 200 people. Cause I could sell, if I, if I sold it for two weeks before I close it down, I could sell 200 every year. I have a three acre property. I have an 1800 square foot shop where we do most of the stuff, the feeding and the presentations and all. I, anybody that doesn't get in, let me, let me pre-apologize. Let me pre-apologize. Um, but I have to, this is the way I look at it. And I'll save the rest of this for this video, just real quick. I take money from people for this thing and it's not inexpensive. It's 600 bucks. It's been 500 for, for nine years and, and we've, we've gone up to six this year because we have to with ex- increased prices. Once I take that person's money, I've, and I've said this before, my job is from the minute that they step onto my property until they step off of it. How you get here, carpooling, I don't get involved with that. We use the telegram group is your happiness and to make sure that every promise that I made was kept. I can't do that for 200 people, and I could barely get it done right the last two years for 65. We found our limit at 50. I know that the commitment I make will be met. I know that everybody that wants to t- talk to me will get to talk to me. I know that I'll get to at least move around and talk to people in small groups. I know that if you want to tell me something, I'll get to hear it. I know that when I promise you a great meal – you'll get a great meal and you will not be hungry at the end of it. I know that when I promise you a great experience at the barter blanket, you'll be able to hear and see what's going on. I know that the commitments I make will be met with this number. And I'm sorry. And I, the reason I'm, I'm going on with this is I know there will be people that I consider personal friends that will try to get in and I will have to say no to. But there's a reason that it is such a big thing for people every year in their lives. It's because it's special. And I think it is by keeping that head count to something reasonable and being 100% committed to excellence is why we're able to do it. So I would love to see some new people, even if you push some people, because they've been before, they've had an opportunity. You know, It's not that I want you to come back. I would love to see a lot of new people. Generally, we're at about 60 percent when I say who's been here before about 60 percent of the hands go up and that's great because that means because there's people that tried to come back that didn't get in what's what's amazing though and this is why you really should consider coming if you haven't ever before when I say who's been here more than five times we're still looking at 20 30 percent sometimes 40 percent of the hands go up that's because they know how to fill out the form and I'm gonna I'm gonna put the video out that tells you how to do it that'll put you on par with those guys they'll be mad at me uh, people in the, the private secret club telegram group said it's going to be a real blood sport battle this year. It kind of will be. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow with expert counsel and I'll be back with a live stream for you. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are 
Show you a better way. 